You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Take a moment and try to remember a time when your life was interrupted. It could have been a minor interruption. You know, maybe uh, someone showed up that you weren't expecting or, or something happened that had to be worked into the schedule and you weren't ready for it, but it, it's okay. You kind of work through that and, and, and make the adjustments and no harm, no foul, everything's okay. Perhaps, however, it was a major interruption, a major life event, the loss of a job or a crisis at work. Perhaps it was a major health problem an unexpected diagnosis, or perhaps you even lost a loved one and your life was interrupted by deep grief. As you consider that interruption, take a moment also to consider how you felt in that moment and in that season. Frustration, anxiety, fear, anger. The flood of emotions may have been absolutely overwhelming. And as you reflect on that experience and the emotions that followed in that experience with all of the range that came there, take a moment, another moment, and consider how you responded to that interruption. How did you behave and act in the moment? When you felt the anger and the frustration, did you indulge that? Or in that moment of anger and frustration, were you able to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not sure what's happening here. I don't understand. I'm angry. I'm afraid. But I trust you. Different interruptions may be met with different responses. Sometimes we respond well, and sometimes we wish we had a do-over, don't we? Sometimes we wish we had a do-over. Well, now that we've recalled those experiences, now that we've recalled the emotions that, that we've experienced in disruptions in our lives, we may find ourselves a little more sympathetic to Mary than we were just a few minutes ago. We always appreciate her, and we're, we're grateful for the role she played, but I wonder how often we, we really offer ourselves to, to, to consider what it was like to be in her position. Her life was interrupted big time, wasn't it? She undoubtedly experienced fear, perhaps anger, perhaps anxiety. And she had a choice in the way she would respond to this message from God through Gabriel, didn't she? What would the, ex the experience lead to and what emotions would arise in the middle of it? And so as we think about her choice in response to God's call, and we think about our lives and the different ways over the days and weeks and months and years that we've experienced interruptions, we begin to see a pattern. We kind of see that things run in 
one of two directions almost every time. For Mary, for us, interruptions can be occasions to grumble or opportunities to grow. In each instance, when we're interrupted, we can respond in one of two ways, right? We can either grumble at the frustration or we can say, Lord, what's your will in this moment? So let's talk about Mary. It's easy with familiar stories to just kind of read through and read them the way we always read them. But it's worth reflecting on Mary's experience when Gabriel shows up and what he has to say to her. Everything's going along just fine for this girl. She's young. She is engaged to be married. She appears to have her needs largely met. She wasn't wealthy, but, but we don't get the inclination that, that, that there is some just abject, something just missing in her life. Her family, kinship group is there. When she needs support, she can go to visit her relative, Elizabeth. She has people to care for her and people to look out for her. And so it looks like her life is, is okay. She's she's. Living the normal, expected life that a, a young girl in first century Judea would expect. And things are just going along quite normally. In the midst of that otherwise normal experience, she gets interrupted. And her interruption was one of those extraordinary interruptions, wasn't it? Like it wasn't one of those, oh, hey, you know, an unexpected guest came by and knocked on the door and, well, I've got some, I can make a pot of coffee and pull out some leftover dessert and we'll hang out for an hour or so. And I didn't have this in my schedule, but we can make do and, and it'll probably be a pleasant chat after all. It wasn't that kind of interruption, was it? It was one of those extraordinary, stunning, unexpected, over the top, like what in the world is happening here right now kind of interruption. In the sixth month, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. The angel showed up and interrupted Mary's otherwise normal life. And he tells her an exceptional message, doesn't he? He gives her this unusual word from God. You're going to have a baby. And this is going to be a very special baby. Don't be afraid. Again, that suggests to us the sorts of emotional experiences Mary was probably beginning to have in the middle of this surprising interruption. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. <clears throat> you have found favor with God. And now you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. and He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. And Mary undoubtedly remembers the scriptures that she was reared in. 
Scriptures like 2 Samuel 7 where God promised to David, I'm going to give you a son and your son is going to reign on your throne and his kingdom will be an eternal kingdom and his reign will be an everlasting reign. And that's exciting and that's encouraging. And and is this the day that God is finally going to keep his promise and rescue his people and set us free from oppression and, and bondage and slavery in our own land? But along with all that excitement comes a very atypical and potentially scary, dangerous vocation. An unplanned pregnancy in the first century world was far more socially taboo than it is now. One's security is risked. Punishment was grave, perhaps even deadly. And so in the midst of this this hopeful vocation that God would offer the Messiah, there's a little girl whose life has been interrupted. She's probably scared in ways that none of us have begun to imagine. But God is at work. Initially, she's perplexed. And then she has some questions. How can this be? I'm, I'm not married. I'm, how's this going to work out? And the angel reassures her that the God who can create anything out of nothing can create life in her body. She's perplexed. She's wrestling with it. She's struggling with this. And then at last she says to the angel, here I am, servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. So in that moment, we see in Mary the sort of posture that anticipates the gospel, doesn't it? She denies herself. We could even say she denies herself and takes up her cross and offers herself completely to her God in life or in death for whatever he calls and whatever he asks her to do. She trusts her God. And the result is that she has an opportunity to grow in God's best for her, even though it looks like a dire, undesirable situation. You can see how the grumbling could have come quite easily. Why me? Why do I have to be the one? And if she knew the sort of grief that would come when the child she now carries would be executed on a cross, you might find her, you, we wouldn't be surprised to hear her ask those kinds of questions. Why me? Why do I have to endure this pain? Why do I have to endure this sorrow? 
Why me, God? But in that moment, instead of grumbling, instead of complaining, instead of distrusting her God, she does what? She trusts Him. Let it be with me according to your word. Whatever you ask, Jesus, the answer is yes. Whatever you ask, God, the answer is yes. <laughs> Even if it means carrying Jesus. And so she has an opportunity to grow and to experience God in a way she would not experienced Him before and to be drawn near to Him in a way that she had not been drawn before. And her self-giving, her growth, has benefit for those around her and not only those around her, but everyone in history. It's important to remember that our interruptions, <coughs> excuse me, the way we respond to our interruptions don't have bearing only on us. The way we respond to interruptions have bearing on those around us. And if she had said no to God, Where would we be? It's not to say God would be unable to save the world without Mary's help. But it is worth reflecting on what it looks like for us to miss out on God's best and the implications of that for those around us. If God interrupts my life and my response is grumbling, I'm going to miss out on something he desires to do that is good. And chances are, the people around me will miss out on something he desires to do in their lives that is good. So we have an opportunity every time we get interrupted, don't we? When things don't go our way, when the plan doesn't play out the way we thought it would or wanted it to, we can grumble or we can grow in our devotion to Jesus. As we think about uh, this option, growth or grumbling, I'm reminded of uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. If you haven't read it, it's well done. It's very short and it's interesting. It's about uh, a group of people who are in hell. Uh, hell isn't quite what you would expect. Instead of being portrayed as a fiery, you know, torturous experience, they're all just living quite mundane, rather dreary and gray lives. They're all consumed with themselves and would rather not be bothered as much as they can. Uh, but they're all given an opportunity, a glorious opportunity. This group of folks is invited to go from hell to heaven. What an, what an opportunity. You would think, wow, that would be amazing. You thought it was over, that you'd received your judgment. What if you had the opportunity? And so they board a bus, and they sort of go on a bus ride to heaven. If that's not a plot for you, I don't know what is. And they get off the bus, and they discover that there's going to be, like, there's going to be some things that have to happen if their journey is going to be successful. And they don't really understand the end goal, but, but if they can offer themselves to God in this new way, then they get to enter into the heavenly city. And every person on the bus is dealing with a different sort of sin. There's this different thing that they, they've got that's an issue. Uh, some, some of them deal with anger. Other, the others are, are control freaks. And control freaks decide, disguised as, like, I love them, so I've got to control their life, right? That sort of thing. Um, there's someone who deals deeply with shame. And, and because this person just holds on to that shame, it's, 
there's no room for God to come in and heal. There's one character who is a grumbler. We don't typically think of that when we think of like the major sins, grumbling. But Lewis opens our eyes to what's really going on here. There's one character who's a grumbler, and she grumbles about everything. I have to meet so-and-so, and and I don't want to meet so-and-so at the corner of those two streets. I don't like that street, and I hope we don't have to go to this place for tea or that place for lunch because the food isn't that good, and they don't serve anything all that well, and she just like paragraph after paragraph. She just grumbles on and on, and it's so bad it's almost humorous. And one of the characters is observing this, and he's sort of asking, like, 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 what does it look like for her to be saved from her grumbling? And the narrator character sort of says, well, the question isn't, what does it look like for her to be saved? The question is whether she is a grumbler. And the guy says, well, that's obvious, self-evident. Have you been listening? And the other character says, no, no, you've missed the point. The question is whether she is a grumbler still or whether she's become merely a grumble. What? And he makes the point, he says, you know, we can get into these sinful cycles where we respond. Again, interrupted, grumble. Interrupted, grumble. Interrupted, grumble. Here's what's happening. I don't like this. Here's a new scenario. Can we do it differently? And there's just this ongoing, life isn't going the way I want it to go, and I'm going to respond to that with this grumbling attitude. And Lewis is making the point with that question, is she a grumbler, or has she ceased to be a grumbler and become only a grumble, by saying that sin is just deforming us. And when we cultivate these sinful habits and these forms of speech where like if something bad happens, my tongue and the muscles in my face and my vocal cords just automatically begin to grumble about it. There's a physiological, habitual, habit formation thing, deformation thing happening there. This is the way my body responds normally and negatively. And Lewis is making the point, like, that can happen to us so that it becomes harder and harder to repent. And we can get sucked down more deeply and more deeply and more deeply into it. And the thing he wants to warn his readers about is the day may come where you're so deformed and so dehumanized by sin that it's impossible to repent. You're not just a grumbler who needs to repent. You've disintegrated into something far worse. Merely a grumble. Past the point of no return. So deformed and so dehumanized that there's nothing left to rescue. And Lewis is inviting us to think about that, not only in that regard, with that regard to that sin, but in every way. Like, Is my posture to always respond to things with anger? Is my posture always to respond to things with with pride? Like, what do I get out of it? And what can I, like, how can I, what's best for me? When I'm caught off guard or not, when my life is interrupted and I don't like it, what's my posture? What's my response? 
And have I been grumbling for so long, for so many years, for so many decades, that all that's left in me is a grumble? I don't want to go there. Do you? Consider the alternative. If sin is ultimately dehumanizing and deformative, if meeting daily interruptions with a grumbling spirit is fundamentally dehumanizing and deforming, then meeting those same moments and opportunities like Mary did, trusting Jesus, trusting that He wants to draw me more deeply into His life, trusting that He has good things for me, even if I do not like my circumstances. Jesus, if it's true that all things work together for good for those who love You and are called according to Your purposes, then this moment, these things that are, I'm struggling with and it's painful and it hurts and I don't like it and I don't want to like it, if that, if you, but if Your Word is true and if You always work for my good, then I trust You. trust you. I don't like what's happening now, but I trust you. And if the grumble option is dehumanizing, then the trust option is rehumanizing. This is what it looks like to be a creature made in the image of God. This is what it looks like to become more fully human. This is what it looks like to become more fully alive. This is what it comes, this is what it looks like to have the shackles of sin broken and removed from my heart and my spirit and my mind and my body. This is what trusting him. And if I can trust him when it's hard, then he can strengthen me. He can strengthen me by his grace all the way through. There's another section in the book, The Great Divorce. This is my favorite part. The guy who's kind of the main character who's, who's discovering that maybe I can make it to the heavenly city and maybe, the, this, maybe God is good after all despite the way it looks. Like he gets off the bus. Remember, it's a bus ride to hell. Incredible plot. <laughs> you know, none of us ever would have thought of that. Or a bus ride from hell, not to hell. Uh, probably is a movie about a bus ride to hell. Uh, <laughs> but from hell, that's a different thing. So, so... So the, the main character kind of gets off the bus and he, gets, he, get, he steps off on the grass and it hurts. He's, he's barefoot and, and it's kind of sharp. He steps back and you know, like if you step on a, a toy that's been left out, Legos, those things are like little pieces of glass that destroy your feet. He pulls back and he kind of looks down and he can kind of see through his foot. It's translucent. It's there, but it's shadowy. And he's, and he's thinking, what's happening here? The guy begins to say, what you don't realize is that sin makes you less of a person. More like a ghost. The people from the heavenly city are solid. And as you walk on the grass, yes, it's going to hurt a little bit to begin with. But as you persevere and you move towards the celestial city, you'll find yourself becoming more solid. The closer you draw to Jesus and to his purposes, the more human you'll become, the more resilient, the more whole, 
the less shadowy, the more solid. And a lot of times, friends, we think of growth in Christ, sanctification, getting free from sin. We think of it as, man, Jesus is cramping my style. I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And I don't really need Jesus to get in the way. I'd like to just go tick that church box on Sundays, do my thing, and then be in control of my life. And Lewis says to us, same thing the Bible says to us, that's a shadowy existence. Barely human. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and if things don't go my way, I will let you know with my grumbling, with my frustration, with my anger. I'll let you. You will know if I'm not happy. Lewis says, you can do that if you want to. Scripture says, you can do that if you want to. But it'll rip out your soul. Crush the image of God in you. It's dehumanizing and deformative. But if in those crucial moments, in the crucible, in the time of testing, when the angel shows up and says, I've got something glorious for you, but it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. If we trust him, We see the opportunity to become closer to Jesus, to grow in Jesus, to experience his life in new ways. He can make us whole and solid and real and humble and free and joyful. Self-denial is not self-denial for self-denial's sake. The grumbler in the story has to deny herself, not just because, look at me and how selfless I am. We treat it that way sometimes, don't we? You probably know some people, don't look around, but you know some people who treat it that way sometimes. Look how humble I am. Look how selfless I am. And yes, I'll serve all these ways. That's not what we're talking about. Not self-denial for self-denial's sake or for the sake of a good reputation, but for Jesus' sake. As you call Jesus, everything is yes. Everything is yes. My whole life, my whole heart, my whole body. For Mary, my womb is yours, Jesus, if you ask for it. Yes. It's going to be scary, could be dangerous. A sword will pierce her heart. And she sees her firstborn with his arms stretched on a cross. That's what it looks like to be fully human. It looks like Jesus in the garden saying, I trust you, Father. I trust you. Even if it hurts. There's one more line in that book. It's, if there's one you've heard, it's, this is probably it. Lewis says, at the end of the day, there's only two kinds of people in the world. 
those who say to God, your will be done, and those to whom God says, your will be done. A life that responds to unforeseen circumstances with a view to growing is a life that says to God, in this moment, Jesus, your will, not mine, be done. Yours. Just yours. When we step into that grumbler mode, we are insisting, I want it my way. But that's not the way of the cross, is it? It's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the gospel. It's not the way of holiness. The entire gospel, from the day Mary shows up and hears that she will have to offer her body for the purposes of God, to the day Jesus has his body crucified for the purposes of God. The entire gospel is about how people respond when life hurts. And God, in his wisdom, has chosen to save the world, to save you and me through an interruption. The question for us is what our posture will be when the interruption comes. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hall United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.